because I don't. Um, and uh, I would encourage you on a couple of things. First of all, is that as we're studying this together, if you have a question, um, you don't hesitate to answer or ask it. And uh, I will do the best I can to answer it. But I'm going to be very honest and uh, upfront with you. There may be questions that you ask me that I'm going to honestly, because I don't want to make up an answer, I'm just going to say I don't know. But I'll take it home, study it, and then when we meet back together on the following Wednesday night, uh, we will look at the answer together. Does that make sense? And, uh, or throughout the week as you're studying, uh, you can send me an email or a text and say, Hey, Pastor, I have this question about Revelation that we're studying, and uh, we will look at it together, Okay. Uh, tonight, we're just going to lay the foundation. It's very foundational. Uh, we'll just actually only read a couple of verses because we need to do a background on uh, what we're looking at and where we're going so that we can uh, understand the book of Revelation in the very basic of sense. Does everybody have one? Anybody need one still? Okay, good. We're getting them here. All right. I think we have enough. That's good. Um, so we're just going to start uh, right at the top of the piece of paper that you have, right at the very top. You can follow along on your paper, you can follow along on the screens, whatever the case uh, that you would like to. There is no more fascinating book in all the Bible uh, than the prophetic book of Revelation. All of us have an unquenchable curiosity and nothing makes us more curious than the facts about the future. And that's why you're here tonight, uh, because it's a, a, a curious thing. It's also a desirable thing to, to learn about the things to come. If you are in the habit of watching the news, or you're in the habit of keeping up with uh, Fox News on, on the computer, or whatever the case might be, you are seeing literally the future and prophetic events unfold right in front of you, which is actually uh, very uh, uh, neat and very cool as you watch these things unfold, as you watch Israel as you watch all the stuff that's happening with Russia and, and their President Putin and all the stuff that's happening uh, uh, with Japan and Russia. And uh, if you'll read as we go through this, we're going to allude to the book of Daniel. We're going to allude to the book of Ezekiel uh, because those are prophetic books in the Old Testament that are commentaries uh, related to the book of Revelation. And as you look at all of these things that are unfolding and you begin to put the puzzle pieces together as we're studying through the book of Revelation, hopefully it will become alive to you because you're watching this unfold right in front of you. Now, I will tell you, you'll have to be patient. Uh, this is about a 28-week study. Uh, and, and so th this, is, this is a long study because the book of Revelation is a, 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 a deep-rooted book and uh, we'll just uh, tackle it one week at a time. However, we must not let mere curiosity about this intriguing book be our sole motivation. As we go through this, you'll see underlines. Whenever there's an underline, that is what is on your uh, notes there in front of you. Uh, be our sole motivation for studying. God did not inspire the book of Revelation to simply fascinate us, but in it, he has tucked away some of the most practical truths in the New Testament. And so we want to take the book of Revelation and we don't want it to be an external study. We want it to be an internal application. And uh, that's very important as we uh, travel through this. As with any part of the Bible, knowledge of this book, apart from personal application, falls short of God's reason for knowing his word. The reason of study uh, for the book of Revelation is not only to lead us into a basic knowledge of this intriguing book, but also to stimulate personal change and personal 
growth. And so that's, that's, as your pastor, is what I want for myself, is, is a personal stimulation of change and a personal stimulation of growth. I, I don't know why we would come to church if that's not what we wanted, right? You, okay, for those of you that haven't come on Wednesday nights, on Wednesday nights we talk back to the preacher. I know we don't do that on Sundays. On Wednesdays we do that. You can say, uh-huh, that's good. And, and you got that? Let's try it together. Uh-huh. That's good. You're getting it. And uh, you can actually, you know, talk back to me. if you. Have, I mean, don't talk back to me like your kids do. But uh, you can actually talk back and, and we can communicate here. Uh, I know we're not in that little room, which I love, because we wouldn't all fit in there. Uh, but uh, don't let this room size uh, take that away, okay? So we want this to be a personal change and personal growth. As we begin this study, it must be noted that there is much disagreement. And this is where I want to kind of really launch our thought process here because uh, it's important that you note that there are disagreements throughout the book of Revelation and how people view them as to how this book should be interpreted and what various symbols and visions mean. The purpose of this journey is not to persuade us all to agree uh, on the symbols and visions, but to help us fulfill God's purpose in giving us the scriptures in the first place. So you may come across something and you're like, Pastor, well, I heard that said this way, or I heard that that means this, and now you're telling me it means this. And the truth is, is that uh, because the book of Revelation is one of those books uh, that is a mystery in many cases and in many uh, stages of it, uh, there might be uh, different ways to look at these symbols and visions. But our purpose today is not uh, uh, for us to necessarily all agree, but in giving us the scriptures what was for the first place. Does anybody know what the scripture, why the scriptures were given to us in the first place? Why were they given to us? There it is. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. What does that word perfect mean? Complete, good, or mature, that's right. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's the reason we're studying the book of Revelation. Therefore, if God's purpose for giving us the scripture is accomplished in this study, it would be more profitable to us than if we could explain every symbol, every vision, every verse in the book of Revelation. My prayer is that this journey will not only increase our knowledge, but also change our lives. Number one, the author of the book. The author of the book. The book in the book itself, we find the author's name four different times. Take your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Revelation uh, chapter number one. Revelation chapter number one. We find the author's name four different times. Uh, throughout the scripture here. Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 1. The Bible says, the revelation of who? Say it with me again. The revelation of who? Okay, so I want you to understand that this is God-inspired, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant who? John. So John is the author. Verse number 4. John 
to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. You find it again in verse number 9. You find it again in twenty-two, or chapter 22 and verse number 8. John is the author of the book. Of course, this is the human author who simply wrote as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you're here tonight and you're under my voice, I want you to know that I believe one thing and one thing alone about the Word of God. I believe it's God-breathed. I believe it is inspired by God. I do not believe that any man uh, uh, wrote the book on his own cognizance. I believe that the Holy Spirit of God uh, uh, made aware to the man what he was supposed to write. It is God-breathed. It is inspired. That's what the word inspired means. To refresh your mind and perhaps to better acquaint yourselves with this human author, let's examine some scriptures together and, exp and explain what they reveal about the Apostle John. You'll see those uh, in your notes. I didn't write them out. I just put them as references. First of all, Matthew chapter number 4. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father, or excuse me, father, and followed him. Who's him? Jesus. Good. So John was an apostle. John left his boat and followed Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 9 and verse number 2. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and who? John. And lead them into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured. John has playing an important role uh, with Jesus. He was there at the Mount of Transfiguration. What a moment that was. John chapter 13, verses 23 and then 21, verse 20. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Then Peter, that was John, turning about, seeth the disciple who Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? John was a close disciple of Jesus Christ. Lastly, John chapter number 19, now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples standing by him whom he loved. There's John again. John was in Jesus's life. I believe with all my heart, now listen to me, I believe with all my heart that those that are the most, that are the closest to Jesus, God will use the most. Did you catch that? Those that are closest to Jesus, God will use the most. John left everything, followed Jesus, then not only followed Jesus, but Jesus literally fell in love with John, whom he loved, the Bible says multiple times. And John was there at the most crucial events in Jesus' life. I believe it's important for us as Christians, when we look at the Word of God, especially when we look at the book of Revelation, that we decide in our hearts tonight, before we even jump into chapter 1 and verse number 1, that our desire, our ultimate desire is not to learn about the book of Revelation. Our ultimate desire is having a closer walk with Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Having a closer walk with Jesus Christ. Tradition says John remained in Jerusalem until the, day, until the death of Mary, the mother of Jesus, which occurred around the middle of the first century. Then he moved to Ephesus, where he probably wrote the Gospel of John and the epistles of 1 John, 2 John, 
and 3 John. So he stayed there till Mary passed away, and then he moved to Ephesus and wrote the Gospels and also the three Johns. Later in life, John was banished by the Roman, uh, excuse me, Roman Emperor Domitian to Patmos. He was on the Isle of Patmos when he wrote this book. A small island in the Aegean Sea. There John was forced to work in the mines, which the Romans hoped would cause him to die from exposure. The Romans hated John. Why? Because John was loved by Jesus. Are you following the trail here? So what they do? They, they, they cast him on an island. The emperor Domitian cast him on the island, thinking, hey... You get on that island, I'm going to work you to death, and you can't talk to anybody about this man you call Jesus. So John says, fine. He goes on the island. He goes and starts working in the, uh, in the mines. And what does God do? God says, well, I can't necessarily use you in the mines. Uh, I'm sure you're, you're talking to the other men about Jesus. But here, let me help you. We're going to let you write the book of Revelation. You know what that tells me? That even when I feel deserted by everyone else in the world, I still have a friend in Jesus. And he will find a way to use me, just as he did John. While on the Isle of Patmos around 85, or excuse me, 95 AD, John had a very unique experience. John chapter 1, verse number 9. Let's uh, look at it together. John, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 1, verse number 9. Let's look at it together. And I, John who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the hour that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Isn't that a great thought? I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. While he was on the Isle of Patmos, God came and spoke to John. A very unique experience. And, uh, and that was around 95 A.D. After Domitian was murdered in 96 A.D., a plot that was supported by his own wife. Hopefully we don't have any wives like that. Uh, he was a rough guy. John returned to Ephesus. All historical sources agree that John later died in his 90s of natural causes. He was the only one of the 12 disciples to escape a violent death. It should be noted that his brother James was the first disciple to die a martyr's death. So John, whom Jesus loved, God gave him this amazing vision on the Isle of Patmos. And he was the only one that did not die a martyr's death. I think John is a great example of Christianity. And I'm going to tell you why. Because John decided that he was going to sell out completely to his Savior. And because he sold out to his Savior, God spared him from the worst wrath possible, being a martyr. And can I tell you as a Christian, as we go through the book of Revelation, that once we get to Revelation chapter number 4 and verse number 1 where the, uh, uh, where the rapture occurs, as Christians we don't have to endure the worst thing that's ever going to be known to mankind, which is the tribulation. Now I know... 
and I, I want to preface this, and I'll preface it again when we get to Revelation chapter number four. I know that there are many people in this room, and you may have different beliefs about um, the rapture and about the tribulation and uh, all those things. But I want you to know that everything that I want to go through, and I, my goal in this is not to upset anyone if you've come in and you've learned a lot of different things in your life. My goal is this. My goal is to challenge maybe what you know and take it and put it up against the Word of God. Because isn't the Word of God the only thing that's worth having? My opinions in the book of Revelation do not matter. That's why I'm going to try to stay away from my opinions. I'm going to try to stay as close to the Word of God as we can possibly get and historical references like the book of Daniel and the book of Ezekiel. Um, the original readers of the book of Revelation are the seven churches in Asia. The reason this book was originally written was for the seven churches. And we just mentioned those seven churches. Um, while this book had a very definite group of first century readers in mind, John encourages all believers to read this book because of the blessing that will follow. Chapter 1 and verse number 3, and I pray this is the reason that you're here. Chapter 1 and verse number 3. Blessed is he that, what's the next word? Readeth. Say it with me together. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and not only hear them, but what? Keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. He encourages all believers to read it, even though it was written for the seven uh, churches. Now, uh, the seven churches of Revelation are located right here. First of all, uh, I'll put a little dot up here. This is where... Um, this is where John is exiled on the Isle of Patmos right here. And here are the seven churches that he's writing to right over here. Uh, many of you will look at this map and notice a few things that, uh, as they relate. Here's Jerusalem down here. So Jerusalem is all the way across the Mediterranean Sea from where they are at. Um, here's Antioch, and they were first called Christians at Antioch. So you can see, again, quite a ways away. There's Asia Minor right there. Uh, there's Gal the Church of Galatia is right there. And uh, you've heard about the little island of Crete that Paul went to. And, of course, you've heard of the church of Corinth right over here. So this kind of gives you a, a, an idea of where these churches were. It kind of reminds me of the south, a church on every corner right there. Did you see that? <laughs> all right. Um, and so they were all kind of bunched up right there together, those seven churches. And uh, that is who uh, this book is written to, the audience of the book. God did not inspire John to write the book of Revelation to the seven churches in Asia to satisfy their curiosity and merely inform them about the future. Christians were going through intense persecution under the reign of Domitian from 81 AD through 96 AD, which is why he wrote it to them as a book of encouragement to say, hey, listen, I know it's bad now, but don't worry, greater things are to come. And that's the same way it is for us. Can I remind you that things might get difficult now, but greater things are to come? Amen? I mean, if you're a Christian, this is as bad as it gets. Uh, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so these Christians were going through some intense persecution, and uh, they needed some encouragement. The belief that Caesar was an incarnation of divinity first arose during the time of Augustus, and from then on, homage was paid to the reigning Caesar. And, and this is where the problem came in with Domitian. 
However, the worship of the emperor was not rigidly enforced until the reign of Domitian. Domitian literally said, I am God. And people had to bow down and worship him. And so the seven churches are, are battling this thought of, if I do not bow down to this, this king, what's going to happen to me? Yeah. Their heads are going to be cut off. They're going to be martyred if they do not bow down to Domitian. And so here they are. They're scared to death for their lives. Domitian claimed divinity and decreed that once a year all Roman citizens and slaves must da- bow down before an image of him and revere him as Lord and God. What does that remind you of? There you go. Good. Nebuchadnezzar with Daniel. And uh, bow down to me. What did Daniel do? Come on, you guys can talk back to me. It's all right. What did Daniel do? He didn't bow down, did he? And what happened to him? He got thrown in the furnace. But nothing could touch him. No fire could harm him. The Bible says they looked in the fire and they saw how many? Four. But they only put three in because God was there. You know what? That's what John was trying to do to these seven churches. He was trying to say, hey, listen, God is here. God is in the midst of your trial. God is in the midst of your circumstance. Be encouraged. God knows exactly where you are at. Therefore, God inspired John to pen this book to encourage and to strengthen the Christians who are facing ruthless savagery. There was a vital need for the confirmation of their belief that Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings and that he will ultimately reign forever with his followers. They needed that. In keeping with its purpose, the book of Revelation depicts in graphic terms and symbols the ultimate victory of Christ over Satan and the rewards to be bestowed upon his tried and faithful saints. I want you to listen to me this evening for just a moment. I want you to know something, that it's, it's vitally important, it's vitally important that we remain faithful to God. Um, there is a crown of righteousness in heaven, and there is a crown of faithfulness to those that the Bible says endure to the end. And that's why it is so important that as Christians, that we understand the book of Revelation and the fact that we know what the the victory is. Do you believe that there's victory in Jesus tonight? Do you believe that the book of Revelation is a true and real fact in the fact that one day Jesus Christ is going to return for his children. Those that are alive and remain, the Bible says, will be caught up together to be with him. Those that have gone before will be risen out of the graves to meet him. And there is great victory in that. And because of that, we should be encouraged. We should be encouraged. We should, you know, we look at our, our lives and, and maybe it's turned upside down and we're thinking, what's going on in our lives right now? And, and we think, is there any hope? Is there any help? Is there anything here? Can I tell you tonight there is because there's hope in Jesus Christ. Because this is not the end. This is really uh, just the end of where we are at. We, we are transporting ourselves to a greater life because we have sacrificed for his son Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so important that we are, are, are become a church that is not inward, but a church that is outward. So that those that are out there that are without hope can get in and learn who Jesus Christ is. That's why we do what we do. 
And that's why John wrote, because he wanted the audience to know, hey, listen, this is not the end. This is just really the beginning. When Christians face trials or persecutions in the world today, this uh, apocalyptic book presents a clear and relevant message. Herein is the answer to the persecutions and problems of the Christian life, not only in the past, but also in our world today. So he was giving them hope. To its originals, readers, this book was not just a textbook on prophecy, but rather an inspiration during a time of trouble, discouragement, and distress, because it tells how everything ends. It should be no less for us today, because it tells them how everything ends. There are a variety of ways, uh, number three in your uh, outline, the approach to the book. And this is where it kind of gets a little bit deep, and, and we, we start off and digging in the last uh, part of this uh, uh, first lesson, uh, because there are a variety of ways to approach the book of Revelation. And as a result, a number of schools of interpretation have developed through the years. And there are four primary approaches to the book. Now, I don't want you to get bogged down with this, but I, I think it's important that we understand what the four approaches are. Because if you walk out of here and you go to your workplace or you go somewhere else and you go, hey, guess what I'm doing on Wednesday nights? And they're like, what? And they're like, I'm going to uh, listen to some crazy guy talk about the book of Revelation. And they begin to say, well, that's great. Well, let me tell you what I believe. And they start throwing out terms at you. And it's just important that we not necessarily memorize them or have a complete understanding of them, but have an idea of what they're talking about. Because there are four, four schools of thought about the book of Revelation. They are, they are wide thoughts. They are, uh, some of them I don't even understand how they approach the thought, but they are all four there. First of all is the preterist approach. The preterist approach. This uh, approach teaches... Uh, that the events in this book have all taken place in the past. Not sure how that worked out. Um, so, the book has no meaning for us today other than literary value. Uh, the word preterist means past. So people believe that all the events in the book of... Some people believe that all the events in the book of Revelation have already taken place. I'm not sure how that's happened. Um, because... Uh, we think we go through tribulation, but when we get into Revelation chapter 14, 15, and 16, and you start learning about what tribulation is, I'm telling you, we have not experienced tribulation in this world. The other thing that we haven't experienced, uh, now some people think that we've experienced it because of alien invasions, um, but we have not seen a great escape of people. People have not been taken out of this world uh, and, and left one day and everybody's wondering where'd they go. Have you ever thought about what the rapture is going to be like? I mean, it's going to be crazy. You know, we're going to be driving down I-20 and, and, and uh, uh, headed to Atlanta and all of a sudden all the Christians are gone. And everybody's looking around going, where did everybody go? You know, what happened? Or you're sitting at your office and half the people are gone. I hope there's more. Maybe, maybe all the people except the boss are... No. Um, I mean, they're all gone. You know, I, that event has not occurred. Now, there have been events in history um, where masses of number of people have been killed. We've seen that. We've seen that even in my lifetime. Where, where, where hundreds of thousands of people are killed. 
Certainly that's happened. We have seen the blood run on war battles. And, and, and we've seen those things happen. But I'm telling you, we have not seen the blood so thick that it reaches the bridle of a horse. That's serious. We have not seen one-third of the world taken out in, in, in one strike, as we learn about in the book of Revelation. And so these folks that have this preterist approach, they're saying that this, this book right here is nothing more than a literary tale. It's nothing more than just good, fun reading. I don't find anything fun about it, other than the fact that I know that Jesus Christ is going to come back on a white horse on his vesture, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, I'm okay with that. And then I'm going to be with him. So there's the preterist approach. The second approach, it, yes. What? The, yes, actually there is. Um, you will find that in, a, uh, in the universal church. Um, you will find that um, also um, in Scientology. Uh, you will find the preterist approach. Um, that's why if you look at those two, it's a good question. If you look at those two religions, that's why they're financial based. Because everything is nothing but allegorical and non-literal. It's a good question. Any other questions like that? Good. The second one is the allegorical approach. This reproach uh, uh, regards all the visions as an allegory of an age-old conflict between good and evil. Um, with this view, there are no controls on the imagination of the interpreter, and the true meaning or message is easily obscured. So the allegorical approach says that all of us have the ability to pick up our book of Revelation and open it up, and we all come up with an idea of what we think it means. And whatever you think it means, that's okay. That's good. And so it's easily obscured. And now, the question would be, again, is there teaching like that today? There is. Um, I'm not going to name any names because that's not who I am. Uh, but unfortunately, there are uh, teachers that are renowned teachers that are listened to uh, week in and week out uh, that are teaching this type of approach that say, you know what, just pick up your Bible and whatever you think it says or however you interpret it to uh, uh, take it, then that's the way you should because we don't want to hurt your feelings and we don't want to harm your way of life. Well, can I tell you that the truth of the matter is, is that when the Bible says, when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I don't know. That may, that may bother some people. But the truth of the matter is, is that if we don't get it right, we're not going to heaven. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. How many men can come to the Father? None. None can come to the Father but by me, speaking of Jesus. And so when we come to the idea of interpreting a book in the Bible... We have to do it God's way. We have to do it the way that he meant it to be done, not of our, own, uh, uh, of our own understanding or of our own way. And so the allegorical approach is not a, a good, solid approach because, again, it is not a literary uh, book. It is an interpreted book of the Bible. The third approach is the historical approach. Now, 
This one gets close, but it's not quite there. This view looks at Revelation as a panorama of the history of the church from the time of John to the end of the age. Those who hold this view see the visions as symbols of the rise of papacy, the corruption of the church, and the various wars throughout history. Now, um, how many of you ever heard of a man by the name of John R. Rice? A couple of you in here that have heard of John R. Rice. He put out a book, it's called Dispensationalism. He believes that the church age was broke up into seven dispensations. He took somewhat, uh, he's a great, by the way, he's a great man, and, and I would encourage you if you so desire to read that book, you can. It won't confuse you, I promise. But he took and said that church history was broke up into seven dispensations, or really church history in the sixth dispensation, the seventh dispensation meaning uh, the book of Revelation when we go to heaven. And he believes that the church age, which is what we're in right now, is the sixth dispensation. He takes somewhat of a historical approach to the book of Revelation with the idea of the corruption of the church. Because as we read through the book of Revelation, we're going to come to the church of Laodicea. What happened to the church of Laodicea? Somebody, somebody. They were lukewarm, that's right. They were neither hot nor cold. And what did God do to them? He spewed them out of his mouth, that's right. And many people believe... That is the dispensation in which we are in right now, is the dispensation of Laodicea. That the church age, as we know it, is neither hot nor cold. Now, I might agree with that statement. Uh, because the truth keeps getting watered down and watered down and watered down and watered down and watered down until it's not even good in a cup of coffee. It's terrible. And what we are doing is we are continuing to water it down. So there is corruption that's happening in the church. There is great corruption happening in the church. That's why it's so important that, that we as Christians take every uh, uh, possible avenue in protecting ourselves against the corruption of the church. And how do we do that? It's very simple. Very simple. You ready? Read your Bible and pray every day. Pray every day, pray every day, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. All right? How many of you remember that song? There was, I would do the hand motions to it, but it requires me bending like a squat, and that would not be good. Um, but neglect your Bible and forget to pray, and you'll shrink. Somebody just said it. Shrink, shrink, shrink. That's what happens. What happens, Pastor? We get our own thoughts and our own opinions about how the church should be. No. The only thing I need is this. Because that's what the church was founded upon. So we have to be very careful with the historical approach. The fourth approach, which is what we believe, is the futuristic approach. I'll say it. I shouldn't say we. What I believe is the futuristic approach. Uh, this view interprets all events from chapter number 4. Matter of fact, uh, just real fast so that you understand, I keep alluding to chapter number 4. Turn there real fast just so you know what I'm talking about. Chapter number 4, verse number 1. He says, after this, if you look, chapter number 3, the last church on chapter number 3 is the church of Laodicea. That's what I was just talking to you about. They believe in the dispensations of the church. They think we're in Laodicea. 
after this, after the church age, the Bible says, I looked, John said, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now, let me say this to you, because I think it's very important doctrinally that we lay this foundation first. How many of you have ever heard a pastor say the rapture? You just heard me say it a few minutes ago. Uh, the word rapture is not found in your Bible. Okay? So don't go looking for it. When you look at the phrase, come up hither, um, in verse number four, uh, or excuse me, chapter four, verse number one, come up hither, that word is translated rapture. That phrase is translated rapture. And uh, so you won't find that word. You also look in the book of Thessalonians, and we'll cover that when we get there, uh, where it talks about, uh, uh, behold, I show you a mystery, and it talks about that Jesus Christ is going to come again, and he's going to receive them unto himself, and, and all those kind of things. But the word rapture is not there, but the idea of being caught up, come up hither, is where the word rapture comes from, okay? So, so this view interprets all the events from chapter 4 on as future happenings. We believe chapter 1 and 3, church age, all the things that are happening currently, uh, and maybe some in the past, um, and then chapter 4 on are future happenings. This is a more literal approach, interpreting the judgments as described in chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 16. Those are like the, uh, uh, the, the, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, all the judgments that are to come are literal judgments uh, in chapter 6, chapter 8, verse no, or chapter 9, and verse number 16 as literal future events expressed in symbolic terms. Now, why do you think that John had to express them in symbolic terms? Okay, good. John was limited by the things that he knew and the places that he had been. Someone asked me a couple of weeks ago, um, they said, Pastor, um, I'm looking at the book of Revelation, I'm reading it. And many of you, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm excited, uh, the things that I've been seeing uh, leading up to this class. I've seen people with books, and I've seen people inquiring, and uh, that just gets me more excited about teaching it. And, uh, but someone said, Pastor, I don't see uh, the word United States of America. Anybody ever found that one in the Bible? Right row. Uh, yeah, it depends on the publisher, right? Um, uh, uh, John was limited by what he knew at that time. Now, as we start talking about these symbolic adventures in, in the coming weeks, uh, because we really are limited by what we know right now, we are not indefinite sure of what these symbolic events represent. Some of them say, oh, they're uh, uh, atomic bombs. Well, of course John didn't know what an atomic bomb was. You know, but I can't tell you it's an atomic bomb because by the time the Lord comes back, it could be a laser bomb. You know, it, it could be a computer bomb. I mean, I don't know uh, how it all gets destroyed like is described in the book of Revelation. All I know is this, that there is going to come a time when great tribulation is going to occur as we know it in this world. And so these are the futuristic approach 
says that these are events expressed in symbolic uh, terms. It is apparent that these judgments, the return of Christ in chapter number 19 and the resurrection in chapter number 20 have not yet transpired. No events in history even come close to these. Does that make sense? I, I, Jesus hasn't come back um, and uh, uh, he has not um, come back and he has not had his second coming. Um, there is a difference, by the way. Uh, when Jesus Christ returns to take his bride home, uh, that is not the second coming. You understand that? Uh, the second coming meaning that it will be the second time that he puts his feet on the earth. Um, it's two separate events. And um, so just uh, we'll, we'll look at that in the future uh, weeks as well. Those who object to the futuristic approach charge that the book of Revelation would not have been a comfort to its original readers if it were largely futuristic. However, one finds it hard to see why the future events described in this book would not bring comfort since all Christians have always regarded their ultimate victory as, as the future. Our victory is not here on earth. Our victory is in the future. All right? But can I tell you something? Our future victory will be even greater if we're faithfully serving God. Our victory will be even greater if we are serving him with everything within us. And our victory will be greater if we are studying his word and have a relationship with him. Regardless of the approach followed in interpreting this book, all of the vision and symbols cannot be fully explained or understood. In Daniel chapter 12, which deals with the end of time as we know it, we find some of the prophecies cannot be understood now. Daniel chapter 12, verse number 9. And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And so that's what we know, that we will not be able to understand everything, but there will be some things that will still be a mystery. As we begin our study over the next several weeks, it's important that we take into our understanding why we study the Word of God and also what it can do for us personally. And I'm going to take this way back around to our very beginning where I said that the reason that we do it is because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable, first of all, for what? Doctrine. What is doctrine? I'm sorry. Our teaching, our belief, it is our foundation. Our doctrine is who we are. Our doctrine says this is why we believe what we believe. I am a huge advocate of teaching our children doctrine. Because this is what, if we're not careful, this is what will happen. If we do not teach our children doctrine and then they go out from among us and they go find someone else and start hanging out with them and they don't have a sure foundation of doctrine, they're going to blow around with every wind of doctrine that comes along. And by the way, it's the same way for adults. It is so important that we know why we believe what we believe. Right? I, 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 as a pastor, I'm going to be real honest with you. As a pastor, I feel very uh, obligated and a great responsibility to teach doctrine to those uh, that are within my church. Because I believe with all my heart that one day I'm going to give an account for what I've taught and, what I, and, what, and, and the things that I've given. Now, I can't give an account whether you took it in. I can't give an account whether you applied it. But I have to give an account for whether I taught it. 
Because I'm so afraid that we have people that have been in church all their life and they still couldn't tell you why they believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. They still can't tell you why they believe that the Bible is the word of God. They still can't tell you why they believe that the Holy Spirit is who he says he is. And that, that, that bothers me. Because there may come a day uh, down the road where we might not be able to assemble together as a church. And that is why we have to have a sure foundation of doctrine. And that's the reason that I'm teaching through the book of Revelation. Because it is so doctrinally filled. And I pray that's the way that you'll take an approach to it. My prayer is that your excitement for the word of God and for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ will become greater and greater in the weeks ahead. Now, I know that tonight uh, we weren't blowing the prophecy up. I get it. Um, but, you know, it's like building a house. You've got you to get a good foundation first. You need to know a little bit about the background, who the author is, who the audience is, um, and how we're approaching the book of Revelation. And so it's a, just a good foundation. Next week we'll jump right in. And uh, we'll start looking at uh, chapter number one and uh, seeing what John has to say to us and cover the seven churches. And then we'll get to chapter number four where uh, we'll take off into those things that are there at the end times. I will let you know uh, that uh, if you're not able to make it some weeks, um, I'm in the process. You can go home and look at it right now um, if you so desire. Uh, But I have repopulated today um, a brand new website for North Point Baptist Church. It had just hit, uh, hit, hit it, and when you walk, go on to it, um, it's also, you'll see on the side, it'll say coming soon. Uh, within 10 days, I'm going to launch the app side of it, and uh, we'll have an app for our church, which will allow you to podcast uh, right from our app, and also we'll be able to send you push notifications and all that kind of stuff to keep you up to date on things that are going on. But this will make all of your sermons um, available to you um, by way of either the internet on our website or in iTunes, you can podcast with their app, or you can go right to our app and podcast with us, and uh, you'll be able to download them um, if you so desire, or you can share them with your uh, friends and relatives, not because of me by any stretch of the imagination, but because of the Word of God and because I hope that you'll get some excitement um, about learning. Uh, so if you miss a week, those are some options. And then you say, Pastor, well, I don't do the internet. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. That's fine, too. You can always get a CD. But I can't do cassettes. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> the furthest down I can go is a CD. I'm really sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I can't do a tape. I can't, I can't do those. What are they, those big things called? Those records. There you go. I don't even know what they are. Oh I don't. I don't know what they are. You know, somebody was talking about something you plug into your car, like an eight track or something. I don't know what that is either. Um, I got in my car for the first time, and I had a Walkman with a tape on the end of it. And I stuck the tape in, it and it played what was on my Walkman. Remember those? Um, so, anyways, you have that um, availability, uh, and uh, this this recording will be up tomorrow as I'm testing everything, trying to get it all running. And uh, so if you, if you see anything that's misspelled, don't let me know. No, do let me know. Um, and uh, we're going to try to keep our website more up to date and uh, relevant for uh, things to come as well as our app. All right? Any other questions? Excuse me. Any questions? Translated into Spanish. Probably not. No. He might be volunteering. What do you mean? All right, good. 
Well, I hope that this uh, has been a blessing to you tonight, and I pray that you'll plan to join us every single week um, as we uh, travel through the book of Revelation. And uh, certainly, uh, if you have any questions at all, uh, please don't hesitate to ask, and uh, we'll do our best to answer them, all right? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for a wonderful evening. Thank you for everybody that came out tonight. It encourages my soul uh, to see uh, so many out on a Wednesday night. And uh, Lord, I pray that you will uh, bless our study together. I pray that you will uh, help us as we uh, try to uh, look at the Word of God and, and see it as you see it, not as our own opinion, but exactly as it's written and stated uh, in the Word of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll help us do that. We love you. We're looking forward to Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful night.